This is a Seven West Media podcast. Hi, welcome to News Fix from Seven News. I'm Cyan Doherty. Thanks for joining me. She's done it. Ashley Barty, the champion in Miami. Decent delivery to her. Look who got there, Sam Kerr. It only took her four minutes to open the screen. 53,034. That's massive. I declare the winner of the 2019 AFLW Best and Fairest. Aaron Phillips of the Adelaide Crows Football Club. There are three clear heroes in Australian sport this year, and for the first time, they're not male cricketers, nor are they being described as quiet or unsung. They are all jubilant, strong, young women. There's the Matildas captain, Sam Kerr. An ascendant, Ash Barty, in the WTA. And the AFLW's Erin Phillips. Their success in mainstream competitions has not only drawn enthusiastic crowds, but it seems to represent a sea change in Australia, in sport and even cultural maturity. In front of 53,034 fans, Carlton coach Daniel Harford declared the AFLW Grand Final one of the most significant moments in Australian football history. But is it also a significant moment in this country's sporting history? Who better to ask than Olympic and Commonwealth Games medalist Nicole Livingston, who is now the AFL's head of women's football? Nicole, welcome to News Fix. What is it that's made, you know, women's sport popularity just explode? Well, I think it's probably a mix of a lot of, of different aspects to it. Um, I, I would say the AFL entering women's sport has certainly made everybody else lift because anytime the AFL turns their hand to something, it is so big in this nation uh, that you know it's going to at least have um, support in behind it, um, dollars in behind it but also it will capture the imagination of people and they'll do it pretty well. Adelaide trying for one last chance. Wilson slaps it away. And two out of three ain't bad. The Adelaide Crows AFLW Premiers for the second... You know, everybody is realising now that um, it is an opportunity, female sport. Um, It's an opportunity for growth and in a traditional market like men's football, um, and you can put any of the codes in in there um, from rugby league to rugby union to soccer to Australian football, this is where your growth is. It's in women's sport um, and growth is hard to achieve. The women are stepping up, not just in AFLW, but like you mentioned, all those other sports. I mean, your Sam Kerrs, your Australian women's cricket team. I mean, they're almost out batting the boys. Yeah, they are doing very, very well. And again, I look at uh, the Olympic movement and you look at over time, female athletes have well and truly outperformed male athletes from an Australian point of view on the world stage with track and field, 80% of their gold medals being won by women. Pierce is coming away from this, or is she Harper's coming through very strongly? Well, Pierce 
Johnson gets it, I think, from oh, Harper. Nearly inside. Kathy lifting. Goes after Graham. Takes the lead. Looks a winner. Draws away from Graham and Mary. This is a famous victory. A magnificent performance. What a legend. Australia's also enjoyed great success at the Olympics in Livingston's chosen sport of swimming. In fact, Sarah Fanny Durack and Mina Wiley finished first and second in the inaugural women's swimming race at the 1912 Games in Stockholm. Dawn Fraser won consecutive gold medals, then Shane Gould, Beverly Whitfield and Michelle Ford continued to inspire Australians when they won gold medals at the Munich and Moscow Games. Their success gave rise to the likes of Libby Trickett, Jodie Henry and Petria Thomas, all multiple medal winners. Statistically speaking, Australia's female athletes are about twice as likely to win a gold medal. The Olympic champions, world champions, world record holders, they defend their title and they break the world record. Well done, Australia. Two gold medals on the opening night. It's almost more surprising, you know, when the women don't win a gold in the pool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and if I think about swimming, it's um, always the swimming teams, Australian swimming team's goal of having the men and the women performing well at the same time because uh, if we can do that, then we'll certainly be in the top two nations of performing at the Olympic Games. Nicole's looking great. She's looking really smooth. She told us that she was really... I look back at that time and, again, I, I see a national pride, um, a pride in the green and gold and uh, just a desire to perform well for our nation and it didn't it was regardless of gender good female swimmers good male swimmers it's about good swimmers full stop I suppose in that case yeah and that's probably somewhere where we're trying to aspire to be with AFLW as well is um, you know we have 10 clubs that have participated in season three in season four in 2020 we'll have 14 clubs so that actually equates to 420 women wearing football club Guernseys that are iconic in this nation um, and to have them integrated and uh, into their clubs and to, to be seen as a high-performing athlete uh, that offers opportunity for the club to have success is something that we really want to aspire to so that it's not an add-on or a bolt-on or a female team. It's it's another team in your club that you know has high-performing athletes that are looking for success. There is such an ownership over our successful athletes, isn't there? There is an ownership. And, and to be honest, when we think about female athletes compared to male athletes, and it happens in many industries, it happens in the television industry as well, female athletes seem to be judged a little different. Um, so uh, I've often had these conversations with some of our, our Olympic athletes where females need to be thinking about how they respond in interviews, um, whether they're smiling, even if they're grumpy. Um, you know, they, they have to be the overall package, um, you know, look good, perform well, continue to perform well, um, you know, God forbid that you actually lose a race. So I think athletes, female athletes are actually scrutinised a little a little differently to male athletes, um, which for me, the true um, period of equality takes place when we just see the athlete performing. We're not judging them on how they look or how they speak. Phillips has kicked nine goals, 11 this season, 45 out, directly in front, doesn't make sweet contact, it'll drop short, it's still alive. It's a goal! It's Considine! The Premiership this year, I mean, just blew everyone away. 53,034 people. What was that like? 
Oh, it was incredible. Uh, we obviously had uh, estimates that maybe we would get to around 25,000. And just to put it into perspective as well, um, I'm 15, 16 months into the AFL and I've never seen an organisation that is critiqued and criticised as much as the AFL. It really has surprised me. Um, we made the decision to have the grand final on Sunday at lun around lunchtime, one o'clock Eastern. It was criticised and critiqued. It was almost like, how dare you put a grand final on a Sunday and how disrespectful to have it at that time of day for women. You know, why didn't you do a double header with the men? <laughs> Which I felt was probably not as conducive to build a crowd that is a different crowd to AFL. It's much more family and um, young kids coming along as, as well, although that is changing. I'm seeing much... Uh, quite a few more hardcore footy fans um, coming out to watch as well. But we don't make decisions wanting to fail with AFLW. Uh, we are investing so heavily in women's football um, from grassroots, talent pathways, right up to our elite competition. We make decisions based on advice of leaders in the industry and we make these decisions with the hope that they'll be successful. So we thought maybe 25,000 would come out to Adelaide Oval. Um, we felt that the Adelaide Oval venue was the right venue to be at for a grand final on a big stage opportunity. Norwood Oval um, holds around about t uh, 11,000, so we could have gone there. Um, but, but we did take some risks, um, not knowing whether the, would, they would come. And they just kept coming uh, and coming and coming. time record. The prelim final, we had 13,000. And I remember thinking at that venue, they're watching the footy because they're reacting to everything like they're watching the footy. And it's, it wasn't men's or women's footy. It was just being at the footy, hearing the crowd roar. But to have 53,000 doing that, um, you know, and booing decisions and cheering. And anytime Stevie Lee Thompson moved around the goal square, you know, they, you could hear and feel the excitement. Uh, anytime Erin moved, um, they just, you know, the roar was just incredible. She can launch it right towards the top of the square and over the back. Erin Phillips has played the mark, wasn't paid, but she snaps the goal anyway. In the game, then. So in case someone has been living under a rock, can you talk us through what the Taylor Harris incident actually well, was? Well, we, we are very lucky at the AFL where we have amazing photographers in AFL media that follow uh, and record our sport. Um, and Taylor Harris, who is uh, one of our... Um, original athletes that was a marquee player for Brisbane Lions has this amazing kick and in fact the kick style was um, something that I think caught everybody's eye when they were just playing exhibition matches between the Western Bulldogs and Melbourne where she almost did the splits in the air um, kicking kicking for goal uh, and in the early uh, days of getting ready for the AFLW uh, a silhouette of Taylor's kick um, doing the splits was considered as the logo uh, so in move fast forward to season three and seeing Taylor Harris kick for goal, Michael Wilson, who is one of our lead photographers, he heads our photo services at the AFL, took this incredible photo that, you know, the first thing when I saw it, I thought, wow, look at her hamstring. You know, they're massive. They're amazing. The agility, the, the athleticism in it. But unfortunately, it was posted um, on an external social media account. And, and it was posted 
with all good intentions to highlight um, this incredible athlete. Uh, and unfortunately, some sections of our community took it upon themselves to um, ridicule the photo uh, and, and more than that, to sort of go um, with a, a vilification of a sexual nature of the photo, which was really, really unfortunate. And to be honest, uncalled for and a situation um, that our society shouldn't stand for and shouldn't want to have happen. Well, people didn't stand for it, did they? No, they didn't. Taylor Harris has hit back at online trolls who targeted an image of the Carlton star on social media. Responding this is a whole social issue and it's about sexism and derogatory comments against women. People are coming along and calling that out and, and holding people to account. And um, that's you know what needs to happen. I do understand why it was removed. It, it, sometimes it is actually hard to stay on top of moderating comments. It doesn't, it's not easy to moderate comments, uh, particularly at that volume. But um, once it was taken down, I think um, there was probably as much outrage that it had come off. It was reposted, um, thankfully, and I think um, we all take it upon ourselves to call out people that are being disrespectful and uh, what you know, is commonly known as trolling on, on social media. Good evening everyone, it's my pleasure to be here on stage as Head of Women's Football. We've spoken just now about Taylor's remarkable photo and her actions that followed, her leadership, an image that is bigger than football. In your season's highlight speech, you said it's bigger than football. What, what do you mean by that? Oh, what's going on is much bigger than football. And uh, whilst I have immense pride when I see week in, week out during our season, the games and the players and the results and the skills, I recognise that um, the transformation that's taking place in our nation um, because of opportunity of women and girls getting in an environment and industry that has always been so male-dominated from moving forward from, from that Taylor Harris moment. And we're at a point in time now where the public are actually defending it, which is really quite heartening. Would you have even maybe five years ago thought that possible? Um, five years ago, I guess um, the, the female sporting side of things probably wasn't as visible. Female athletes have always been here. That's probably something to make sure we put on the record. We, we have been um, excelling and punching above our weight for, for generations, um, right from the first Olympians that we had going off to represent us. So, um, you know, females have always been here. But, you know, five years ago to think that, you know, men would be online defending female football. Um, and little girls sitting at home are now dreaming of playing AFL professionally. They certainly are. Um, so again, we've talked about it a lot. Um, you can't be what you can't see. And, and we're certainly becoming much more visible for girls to dream about it. Because I see uh, a group of players, 300 in numbers in season three, that, you know, many of them look different. You know, they're, they're different to each other. So it's almost like little girls and little boys watching on can um, see someone in our playing group that they can relate to 100%, um, which is fantastic. It's a great opportunity. They've all got very unique stories, very unique backgrounds um, and can resonate really well with different, uh, lots of different sections of, of our community. So this is letting little girls and little boys actually dream that that's what they can do one day. Yeah, little girls to dream it and little boys to understand um, or, or almost to desensitise them to, to the point that girls didn't play football so that they just think it's normal that girls play football, um, which is, again, somewhere that we're trying to get to. I think that's taking place, though, as I, I think about, you know, I've got one of my three children still in primary school where girls are playing footy in, in the yard with, with boys and it's just seen as inclusive. 
That's so exciting. It is so exciting to hear those kind of stories. Um, we've heard stories as well of, of uh, clubs that were maybe a bit hesitant to have a female team um, from a community point of view evolving over time to having female presidents. So uh, women and girls are getting opportunities in places that um, have never been available to them and not just getting opportunities, they're proving their worth. And we mentioned some of the negatives of social media, but also, I mean, what role does social media play in allowing women to sort of build their brands the way they want to? You know, you don't have to rely on getting a corner in the newspaper anymore. You can build your brand and your fans will come to you. How does that work and has that helped? Our audience is very engaged in social and digital media uh, and we understand that and we have um, made a very clear um, delineation compared to the men's side of things and the men do still deliver through social media and they they deliver through digital media as well. You'd be crazy as a business if you weren't doing that but we realise that our audience in particular in AFLW and women's football is much more engaged through social media Um, so we do actually try to engage and, and put our content pieces much more through that those mediums. Um, we still work in traditional forms. I mean, for us, success looks like going to Adelaide, having our grand final there and having an eight-page lift out in the Adelaide Advertiser on women's football. I mean, that is phenomenal. You're right. I, I grew up in an era where you got a little, a little side column in the back where you had to search the results to see how you'd raced. It was an eight-page eight lift out, which just blew me away. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure everyone was keen to open it and get into reading it. Adelaide yeah, Heroes. exactly right. And Adelaide Heroes, Adelaide Footballers, um, again, it, it normalises this and um, it helps us with acceptance that these are athletes that have ambitions, dreams and goals and they're working pretty hard to achieve them. I cut my hair short, just like Dad and the boys, I guess. <laughs> Well, it was actually my dad's coach, John Cale, who said I was the best junior footballer he'd ever seen, male or female. And of course, who personifies that better than Erin Phillips? <laughs> She's pretty awesome, isn't she? Um, yeah, and not just from her f- football time. You know, I, I watched her for, for decades playing basketball for Australia on the biggest stage in a sport which is a worldwide sport, very popular, and to see her win Olympic medals and not just, you know, be one of um, one of the teams. She was there on court, you know, forging ahead. So, uh, and it's scary to think. We hear the stories of her as a junior footballer dominating um, mixed football, playing with boys as well and winning best and fairests. And because it wasn't on offer for her, she didn't continue. So to to hear the stories now of um, her coming back to footy and knowing that she's just so amazing. Imagine if this had have been on offer for her the whole time and how incredible she, even more incredible she would have been we now have that situation for any girl that dreams about being a footballer. They don't have to stop for decades. They can just keep going. And she's basically a household name now. Yeah, and we're getting a few more like that, you know, um, and again, that's also testament to where we're getting to, um, to be able to have players that are household names um, and, uh, you know, I, I actually, in my speech at the W Awards, I actually referred to her as our Erin. Our you know, that's getting there with, um, you know, our Dawn or our Betty from the golden era of the Olympics. She is our Erin. Yeah. How do you really sum up what she's achieved? Um, I, I, I mean, we've had so many trailblazers and pioneers that some of them are well known, some of them um, not so well known in getting us to where we are in women's football, to have a football league and to be um, having female athletes being paid uh, to, to play football. Erin um, Aaron is our AFLW 
pioneer and trailblazer. She's not only pushing the standard, she's getting people to think about female athletes in the same breath as male athletes. Yeah, just exceptional footy players. Which brings me to a discussion that I have with a former sports journo. So she was a journalist back, you know, over the past couple of decades. And she said she was explicitly told, maybe, you know, like 10 years ago even, women's sport will never be as popular as men's sport because the women aren't as skillful. I hate that argument. It really makes me mad. Um, And again, a lot of the times I go out to to speak publicly, I kind of have this mentality that I'm going to get them one at a time. Um, But, you know, we don't we don't devalue Kathy Freeman winning the 400 metres at the Sydney Olympic Games knowing that Michael Johnson's time was four seconds faster. She won the women's 400. She wasn't competing at the men's 400. Um, they, they are different events. And if you're going to mark women's sport based on, um, you know, that men, can, men are stronger or they're faster or, um, you know, more skillful, I just don't buy that because we're playing in female sport when it comes to AFLW and the AFL has had 150 years away from the social media glare to be able to develop their product. I see girls coming through now that have tremendous skills that have come from from Auskick right through to our elite pathway, like a Maddie Presbarkus who plays for Carlton, and we will have a whole cohort of those coming through um, in decades to come. So uh, value AFLW for, for, for what it is, value female athletes for what they are, don't compare them to men and don't devalue. One of our goals is to have female athletes equally valued and equally, equally considered, um, which I think is really important for us. I'm one of three girls. My middle sister Amy is here tonight. And when I was... <laughs> My dad obviously played footy and when I was born, people people felt sorry for him because he didn't have a son to play footy someday and carry the Phillips name. So, Dad, I know you're watching and Mum, I hope I've made you proud. And we can stick it up those people that said that to you. <laughs> And that's exactly right. You know, I've been talking about that quite a lot where former AFL footballers, um, you know, maybe for just a snippet of time when um, a daughter was born, they felt that they had missed an opportunity for the father-son rule. Uh, Now seeing that AFLW, we see so many of them coming back to football. I watched an under-12 game um, when my son was playing in the um, under-11s and uh, a little girls game and there was a, a guy umpiring and he was amazing with the girls, a little 11-year-old girls, just explaining everything to them, why they had, um, you know, been penalised or why they had to do what they had to do in terms of the rules. And I actually approached him at the back end and said, you know, thank you very much, the way you umpired that. Coaching and explaining to them is just so helpful. And it was actually Clint Bizzle, um, former Melbourne football club player, and his daughter was one of the players that was um, playing that day. So to see our AFL champions coming back and seeing uh, football through a new set of eyes, uh, again, is just such an achievement for us. And maybe one day there'll be a mother-daughter rule. Yes, yes, um, that will take some time. Obviously, we have uh, some parents in the league, um, given Erin's a parent, uh, Dana Hooker's a parent. Um, you know, we've got quite a few of them um, and Daisy with her twins. So, um, yeah, that'd be great to see that as an evolution. Absolutely. I mean, Erin's partner's pregnant now. Fingers crossed that little baby one day wins the same medal as her mum. I'm getting carried away, but it's all very exciting. <laughs> oh, toast, 2019 AFLW Best and Fairest. Erin Phillips to Erin. 
my wife Tracy. You know, this is probably not what you want to do through pregnancy. <laughs> Put up with this, but um, you're my rock and, and you've just been incredible, all your support. You know, one of the things that I'm really mindful is that um, we don't build it too tall too quickly for it to tumble down. Um, sport is filled with examples of leagues that have failed um, and numerous reasons for that. Leagues that have, um, you know, gone too big too quickly. You know, we've had that example here with the um, NBL. So, um, you know, I think it's really important for us to make sure that we are progressing uh, and progress can be viewed in different ways. I know we have 120 more female players coming to our league next year. That is progress. Um, but to be able to develop them, yes, we recognise that they want to play more games, um, but there is an economic and commercial reality to this as well where we actually need to be able to grow this and grow our audience. And that's a really big focus for us is growing the audience. And tell us a bit about that. You mentioned your plans for 2020, 2021. What are the plans for the future? What can we expect? Well, we can expect to see more brilliant football players, um, more club. Uh, Guernsey's out there um, being worn with pride. So we have four clubs coming in in uh, 2020 and we have four final clubs that are wanting to come in but um, with no set date for them as yet. So um, I can't give you any other inklings other than um, we know that uh, we have an eye on progress but we have an eye on sustainability as well. So um, yeah, we hope to make those decisions as soon as possible but we have um, competition committee in April and then again in July uh, and our team lists will be finalised um, you know, later in the year. So we'll have a bit more of an understanding as to um, how those teams assemble. And for you yourself, what is your dream for the next five years? It sounds very dramatic, but you know, everyone's got their vision. What's your vision? What's your dream? Look, I, I think to be able to have, um, you know, we're very fortunate to have great corporate support, to be able to head towards getting our female athletes to be um, paid uh, appropriately to be able to be, um, you know, I think about the WNBA that's been around for a couple of decades and players on average are, are paid around that US $60,000 mark. Um, so again, considering I know what the economy, scale of economy is for the men's side of things, but making sure that we can just turn that pressure valve down a little bit for our female players so that they, um, you know, can concentrate on football. But having said that, I'm also very... Um, uh, cognizant of the fact that we want to make sure that we don't repeat any mistakes that we're seeing um, from the men's side of things where, you know, in lots of examples, we've got 30-year-old men coming out of the system that don't know how to pay a bill. Um, so, you know, to, to sit around a table like I did last week with our captains, seeing an accountant, an environmental scientist, um, teachers at the table, I think that's really important as well because sport is often cruel, unkind and finishes before you want it to. So we do need to make sure that we're having a holistic approach. So player welfare, um, you know, parallel careers running but turning the pressure valve down enough so that they can focus on being great athletes and also um, earn a decent wage as well as important. Fabulous. It's all so exciting. Nicole Livingston, thank you so much for your time. It's much appreciated. My pleasure. Thanks to Nicole Livingston and the team at AFLW and the AFL for making the time to speak with me.
That is your news fix for this week. Every week, we'll dig a little deeper and go behind the headlines. Please subscribe if you have a moment and send us your feedback to podcasts at seven.com.au. News Fix is produced by Seven West Media. Supervising producer is John Buck. Our executive producer is Nikki Hamilton. And the director of news and public affairs is Craig McPherson. I'm Cyan Doherty. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,